This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at cosmicpotato.com. But look, darling, how did he die? Oh, Mortimer, don't be so inquisitive. The gentleman died because he drank some wine with poison in it. Well, how did the poison get in the wine? Well, we put it in wine because it's less noticeable. When it's in tea, it has a distinct odor. You mean you... You put it in the wine? Yes, and I put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat because Reverend Harper was coming. Hi, this is Shane. And this is Virginia. And this is Wait, You've Never Seen, a podcast dedicated to discussing TV shows and movies that one of us has never seen. And today we're discussing Wait, You've Never Seen Arsenic and Old Lace? I have now, and wow, is that that a picture? It's the uh, final chapter in our scary movie month, which I feel is like a good... We started off strong with two strong ones. We did. House on Haunted Hill, Shaun of the Dead. Then we had two kind of busts with the birds and uh, Beetlejuice. The the birds would have been good if it was about 72 minutes long. Right. (laughs) So now I feel like we both can agree that we're finishing on a strong note here with uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. What do you think? Absolutely. So what were... Well, first... We want to talk about trigger warnings. So, it's a really good movie, but they do play mental illness for laughs a lot. Um, there is some... Those ants, they are racist. Did you notice that? Oh, uh, I didn't. Um, and there's some torture or implied torture. Like, they tie up Cary Grant so we know he's about to be tortured, but you don't actually see torture. His, his character is Mortimer. Yes. Mortimer Brewster. And yes. So, tell me about... So, you didn't know... All you knew was the title, Arsenic and Old Lace. So, you had no idea what to expect. Is that right? That is correct. The only thing I knew about the movie was the title. Can I tell a quick story about the title of that movie? Yes. So, I have a relative... Yes. ...who has a friend who had a really rare form of... A really rare form of leukemia, uh-huh. and they were going to try and they tried and it worked, and she's she's great now. Oh, that's good. They tried an experimental version of chemotherapy that actually used arsenic. Wow. Yeah. So my sister, trying to support her her friends, uh, sent them <laughs> sent them a pair of. Of, of lace panties because the only kind of lace she could find was panties. <laughs> so no, she, no, no doilies on the market or anything? Well, she lives in Ireland and <laughs> I believe all of the all of the B&Bs bought every doily. True. I'm true. pretty sure that's what happened. So I think there's a quota. You have to have so many to open. So my sister sent them a pair of 
thinking it's like, oh, arsenic, arsenic and, and old, old lace. lace. And they were like, <laughs> we don't get it. And this is uh, strange. Why are you sending us panties? What are you trying to say? So, yes. the three things I expected from this movie. Okay. Uh, I said cloak and dagger stuff. Okay. I guessed that there might be an aspect of, you know, a spy aspect maybe. Okay. The second one, uh, romantic comedy tropes. Okay. It seemed like maybe a love story. Okay. Three, old lace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, did you expect to you? I mean, you didn't know anything about it. Did you expect to like it, or were two you stars? Two, two stars. Really, two stars. Well, even with Archibald Leach, aka Cary Grant. I have no. I didn't realize how funny Cary Grant would be or could be, be. He's very funny. Well, that's what you kept saying, and that's what I was worried about. I was worried about you overhyping it. I, he's he's great. What can I say? But he really was. I mean, he's. I mean, you got to be ready for him. It's a lot. You got to be ready for him because he's a ham. He really is. And I have more to say about that later. So let um, me get through. What is your one sentence TV guide summary? So this, I realize, is a lot of fun to do if Uh you know nothing about the movie. So I wrote two of them. Okay. The first one. This movie is a good old-fashioned panty raid. Then the offending panty raiders get executed by Osnick. Oh my god. (laughs) The second one? Ready? Yes. The year is 2233. On this upside down dystopian prison planet full of thought criminals, the only weapon is arsenic. And the only currency? Virginia? What's the only. Blaze? No, Wits of Steel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I could have written five more, but I didn't. I bet you could have. So, do you want to hear what the IMDb page had to say about this one? Absolutely. So, um, it's Arsenic and Old Lace from 1944. Not rated. It's an hour and 58 minutes. Comedy crime thriller. And it says, a drama critic learns on his wedding day that his beloved maiden aunts are homicidal maniacs and that insanity runs in the family that sounds like a laugh so So, um let's talk about how things met or didn't meet your very interesting expectations so (laughs) so i also expected to be bored really because i'm just like well it's 1944 and they're trying to make a comedy and i know that it's two hours long I just thought it would be boring. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't. I, <laughs> I wasn't at all. Uh, my star uh, my star rating... Wait. Are we doing star rating right now? Yeah, we're going over how things met. 4.5. Oh, wow. I, I think this is our biggest jump. Yes, I believe so. From <laughs> expectation... To reality. Yeah, to my actual, uh, you know. So what changed your mind? Why such the big, the big leap? Well, it was it was genuinely funny. Um, so, it, one of the reasons I didn't want to watch mm-hmm. um, this movie, or I was I was worried about this movie, was that it, it's a Frank it's a Frank Capture picture, and Frank Frank Capra, Frank uh, Frank Capra is known to be his movies are known to be really corny, like the 
It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Mr. Smith uh, goes to Washington, at which we ha- which we will see eventually. But um, It's a Wonderful Life, I love, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I caught around Christmas time when I was like a teenager. And I just loved it. I think you're missing an important point here that you yes. and your brother quote this movie back and forth to each other on the phone. Uh, let's be more specific. Sometimes yes. all we do yes. when we talk is is do It's a Wonderful Life back and forth. Yes. We're going to do a two-man show one day where okay. it's just going to be It's a Wonderful Life. And you're going to play all the characters. Obviously. Right. Okay. So... <laughs> So I love that movie, but I was also like, you know what? How could anything be as good as this movie? And he has a reputation for being corny. So much so that his movies are sometimes referred to as Capricorn. (laughs) I had not heard that. (laughs) That's an actual thing. So this was a grim, uh, you know, like a a grim comedy, really. Uh You know? And it wasn't Capricorny at all. And there were criminals in it, so it's kind of close to the prison planet. Right, yeah. yeah. There are lots of criminals, so there we go. <laughs> okay, can I talk about how much I love Cary Grant? You may. I love Cary Grant. He's one of my favorite, like, so my favorites are Audrey Hepburn, yes. you know, our dear departed Aww. little puppy. Named who, after Aud- Named after Audrey Hepburn. Um, Catherine. Because, he- because why was she named after Audrey Hepburn? Because she was very regal and queen-like. I thought it was also her eyes. Her, her eyes. Her Audrey. Her Audrey eyes. Yes. Um, I like both of the Hepburns. Yes. Audrey and Catherine, and yep. I like Cary Grant and Spencer Tracy. Those are my top four uh, classic film stars. Mm. So one, Mr. Cary Grant was born in England as. Archibald Alexander Leach, which is just not wow. It's not a it's not a good Hollywood name, I don't think. So the general manager of Paramount Pictures demanded he change his name to something more American sounding, like Gary Cooper. So they ultimately decided on Cary Grant. Um, he never won an Academy Award. He was nominated a couple of times, but he never mm. won an Academy Award. He got an honorary award. Um, in 1970, and then he um, he believed this may surprise you. He believed that Arsenic and Old Lace was the worst performance of his career. He thought he was way over the top. He was pretty over he the top. He didn't like. Do, he thought it was just too too much. So it was a lot, but I think it was the right amount. I, he did really see. I I disagree with his own assessment that it was yeah. the worst performance of his career. I loved it. Like, there are times when I want, like, analogous to him might be, not that there's really any comparison. <laughs> Let me just put that on front street. True, true. But Jim Carrey can be, can, like, overact to the point where I'm just like, I feel like he's just messing with all of us. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the joke's on me as the audience member. Right. And he... He's only putting on a performance for himself, which might have been true. Right. Well, I think at one cases. point when we were watching the movie, you said, God, even when he's not talking, he's very hammy, like his facial About expressions. Carrie, yeah. Carrie, which, Carrie Grant. You which mean, you yeah. get a lot from Jim Carrey. I think, I mean, I'm only, I haven't seen every one of his movies, but. Right. <clears throat> Did you know that this was an adaptation of a stage play 
called Arsenic and Old Lace, and that the ants and the guy who played Teddy were all in the stage play playing those roles. So they were playing their play roles oh, in wow. the movie. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. And did you notice how they, like, ran, skipped, like, everywhere? They would go to answer the door, and they're like, do-do-do-do-do. I know this is great podcasting because people she, can't see me. She's acting this out. I, I feel like you're making the sounds of a dance. <laughs> but it's also rumored to have been inspired by real-life serial killer Amy Archer Gilligan. Really? Really. She did this? Did she put... So, should we mention that the the, um, the old ladies aren't just mercifully, uh, merciless, mercilessly killing right, the, anyone? They're putting, they're putting old... Lonely men... Out of their... Out, out of their, their misery. <laughs> they're is, really doing... The, they're doing the right thing. Come on, y'all. They're just two sweet old ladies killing people. It's fine. It's totally fine. And they are so delighted. They're so delighted by their own... They're proud of their, their they murders. Hold, they hold Christian funeral services just like they should, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so this this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. But okay. um, Amy Archer Gilligan was a Windsor, Connecticut nursing home proprietor and serial killer. She murdered at least five people by poisoning them. One of her victims was her sec- was her second husband, Michael Gilligan, the others were residents of her nursing home. Was it mercy killing? Sorry. It is possible that she was involved in more deaths because the authorities found a total of 48 deaths in her nursing home. Holy cow. The Archer Home for the Elderly and Infirm. The case attracted wide publicity at the time and has been cited as an inspiration for the play Arsenic and Old Lace and for Frank Capra's later film of the same name. Wow. See, here's the thing about female ser- serial killers. You don't really hear a lot about them, but I don't know that there's like less, I mean, fewer female serial killers so much as they're just better at not getting caught. Like, it's always the men who get... If a body shows up, you're automatically a cop's looking for a guy. Right, right. But I'm just saying maybe women are better serial killers. We don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not giving them the credit. Well, look at... at You're not going to kill me, are you? So moving on to Aunt Abby and Aunt Martha, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you would never suspect them, and mm. they're serial killers. They could, they still got away with it. They didn't go to jail at the end. They just went to Sunnydale. The, well, that's the end. We can talk about the end, closer to the end. Uh, I have some thoughts about that. So, I was thinking about Abby and Martha, that they're a little bit like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, in that. When I meet two nice old ladies in a movie, uh-huh. I just think, oh, these are going to be secondary characters. These aren't going to be... The whole story isn't going to be about, you know, hinge on these two characters. Right. We just meet them and they're like, oh, we want you to get married, Mortimer, and we're happy. I just I expected it to be right. about him and his, his lady. His wife, yeah. His new wife. Sorry, his new wife. Um, so in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I don't know if you saw that. It was a 1966 play and it was later made into a movie in the 1990s. I don't think I've seen this that you're talking about. Well, it's a whole, it's a whole big, well, anyway, perhaps that should be on our list and I should stop talking about it. Perhaps. 
But it's the idea of what we need to know, what you need to know about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Or they were, they were minor characters in Hamlet. Uh-huh. Like at one point, um, somebody runs out and goes, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Right. And that's the last you hear about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Oh. They have a couple of lines. I can't remember. My my Shakespeare is a little, is a little uh, has some holes as far as my knowledge of Shakespeare goes. Mm-hmm. But um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. The play and movie sort of talks about the idea of these side characters, you know, finding themselves in, in, a, in a major role. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about that. Something I found interesting, I have, I have a lot to say about the ants. Okay. Okay. First of all, the racism that I noticed from the ants was, A, they had what appeared to be a lawn jockey on their front. I didn't notice the that. Was it painted lawn. black? It appeared to be, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also talked about how they didn't want to bury a foreigner with Miss, Mr. Hoskins. That was the dead body that uh, the brother and... Dr. Einstein doesn't brought that in. Make, I don't mean to. I don't mean to quibble here, but doesn't that make them xenophobes and, and not racist? True. True. I mean, these are aren't mutually exclusive. Um. Right. Yeah. You can be xenophobic and racist. And then they talked about once they were like, you know, oh, maybe we should go to Sunnydale because you know the neighborhood's really gone downhill since they won the pennant. And I'm like, okay, maybe. I don't. I felt like I felt like that was a little racist because it seemed like, oh no, our neighborhood's really going downhill, so we better get out while the getting's good. That's true. You know. Well, it didn't seem like the 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 quote unquote foreigner had all we know about him is that he he got murdered and that he has uh, an Italian last name. Right. Right. Mister Spinalzo. Spinalzo. So I wonder if they have like that. Very that specific like Italians are bad for America thing like the well they they also specifically said the ants said they're they're conducting Methodist services and the likelihood that an Italian Italian is Catholic that seems you know that might be another thing that they were could be but I'm wondering about the well in the 1940s so I'm thinking of like the Sacco and Vanzetti the the Italian anarchists who got uh, who got executed for a crime they probably didn't commit for a murder they probably didn't commit this is in the 1920s yeah I'm not too up on 1920s Italian history I'm sorry well you should be I'm talk- <laughs> sorry I'm talking about I'm talking about men being killed <laughs> for crimes they didn't commit I probably shouldn't be joking around about it but um yeah that was that was one of those very low moments in in American history when it comes to um, Italian immigrants and well immigrants in general. Mm-hmm. But there was a basic distrust and so in the in the serial killer department okay. for the ants, <laughs> they are so bizarre because not just because they're killing people, oh, right? They get offended like they said. Oh, so-and-so wants us to take Junior to the movies. Well, I'm not going to see those scary pictures. Like, you're yeah. killing people. You're <laughs> killing people, and you're like, I don't want to go see the scary movie. Like, 
No. That that just I know that's the joke they were going for. Right. And I obviously totally bought into it. But it's just like, ladies, please. And then they we both talked about this. They keep a cabinet with their trophies. Oh the, yeah. That, the gentleman's hats. That was really like a chilly kind of moment. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I realized, oh, they're real serial killers. <laughs> they actually have they actually have a collection yes, <laughs> yes. of trophies. So I feel like we haven't actually talked about Cary Grant a lot considering how much I love Cary Grant, but he just played the part magnificently. Like every he was just I did not for one second think he wasn't shocked by his aunts committing these horrendous crimes. Like, you know what you did was wrong? And they're like, oh, no, it's not wrong. We were just helping them. Like, he's just (laughs) astounded. And I think he does that really well. And I also think, like, even if he, he, the actor, didn't like the roles, I think he really, um, you can tell he really cares about his aunts and he doesn't want anything to happen to them. Right, he's trying to. Oh, darlings, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to work out a way for them to not go to prison for the rest of their lives. For what they've done, yeah. yes. And really, if you think about it, so you have these ants, and all their reactions are very unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing that makes this movie compelling, right? That I don't know what they're gonna. It's not like they're not purely evil. They're not evil at all, probably. Oh, yes, think dear, there's a, there's a dead body in the window seat. <laughs> of course we know. And then te- we haven't talked about Teddy Roosevelt. Right, Teddy Roosevelt. I was going to talk a little bit about him in disability portrayal. Well, just real quickly, the character, he believes himself to be the president. Right, Mortim- Mortimer's brother. Um, and the way he acts, though, is also sort of like very over the top. Like Teddy. The, the acting of yeah, the acting of Teddy Roosevelt is very over the top. Right. So like, Cary Grant's performance is not at all cartoony. He's it fits into this like right. really twisted world. Right. Yeah. So we have not talked about Peter Lorre. Right. As I refer to him as little big creep. He's a creep in everything. Well, I say that I just watched the Maltese Falcon the other day because we recently signed up for Filmstruck, um, and he was a he was a creepy sidekick in that one too. So yes, that's my Peter Laurie. That's, 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 that's pretty good. It's as far as it's gotten. But then he just sort of he escapes because the oh the cops were so inept. Oh like, yeah. The accomplice is standing right there. The The person at the police headquarters is reading off the description. And the chief of police or whoever's sitting there is like, okay, yeah, he's about five foot three and bug eyes and whatever. <laughs> right, right. And he's like, okay, sir, you're free to go. And it's like, no, that's him right there. Oh, well, I mean, they do they do kind of... Like, at one point, Cary Grant's like, I'm going to just gonna march into the kitchen, and I'm going to tell the cops what's going on here. And he's like, well, we'll tell them about the... The, the 12, 12 bodies. bodies in the basement. <laughs> you know, so... So at least... You know, Cary Grant has incentive to not... You know... Right. But yeah, he, I guess he could have... He could have realized that Peter Laurie was his bad guy. 
Are we ready for the Bechtel test? Yes. So, this one's a little tricky because the ants talk a lot about poisoning men, which I can kind of get behind as a, as a pass because, anyways. <laughs> but really... Because if, if it's a dead person they're talking about, are they really talking about men? <laughs> well, I'm saying like, well, they were really talking to Mortimer then. But anyway, so for example, um, I believe it's Abby who's at home um, talking to Reverend Harper. when Martha. So Reverend Harper leaves. Martha comes home. And Martha says, oh, did you just have tea? And Abby's like, yes, and dinner's going to be late too. Now, we don't know at that point... That dinner is going to be late because she killed somebody by herself and had to stuff him in the window seat. <laughs> right. So at that point, it appears that it's past the Bechtel test because they're just talking about a meal, you know. But but in a real way, oh, did you? Was there other arguments? Did you find arguments about this? Well, because they talk online? about poisoning men. Is that really talking about men, or? Are they are they doing the world a service by poisoning? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just talking about nuts and bolts of what you mean by talking about a man. So if they're referring to a dead body, does it matter if it's a man or a woman? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But see the re the as it always comes back to Star Trek, sorry. Course. The reasoning in my hesitation here is because okay. in, I believe, Star Trek, the 2009 one, it technically passes the Bechdel test because Uhura talks to her roommate, Gayla, I think it is, um, about the Klingon transmission she picked up or whatever. Meanwhile, Kirk is hiding under the bed the whole time looking at them in their underwear. Well, technically it passes, but there's a man in the room and he's, you know, like just ogling them or whatever. But I thought a man could be in the room but I'm provided saying, that it's just a two-way conversation between the women. But I'm saying the argument there is Gayla knew Kirk was in the room. Oh. Her purpose is not to carry on the conversation with Ohura. Her purpose is to get Ohura out of the room so she can go back to making out with Kirk. So I'm saying like does intent does the intent behind the conversation really affect whether it passes the Bechdel test or not? So Gayla's intent was to get her out of the room, um, whereas their intent is to the ants' intent is to poison men. But we don't know that at that point. Yeah, I think intent would be really difficult because maybe, uh, like, if you took it to if you took the Bechdel test to like an extreme, uh -huh. like maybe. There's a two women who have a conversation for a half an hour, and none of it's about men. But really, the one woman's whole whole reason for talking to the woman was because she wanted to figure out what about this woman does this guy like a you know what attracts him to her. Maybe if I learn more about her, but we never know what her motivation is. Right. Like motivation is difficult. If right. you go down the motivation. So I would say since at that point in the movie we don't really know that they're talking about being serial killers and killing men, I would say their initial conversation about tea and dinner probably passes because we don't know their intent at that point. And there's no other... Are there other moments? 
They do. Um, I figure there's well, see, be. and here's the thing too: is um, when the kids come to the door for trick or treating. Yeah. And by the way, like, real just qu- real quick as a, as an aside, they pass the the ants pass children trick or treaters. They pass them whole carved pumpkins. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Maybe I'm that's really, what, that was a thing that happened in the forties. But then you're carrying around a, 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 a slowly rotting pumpkin all night. I mean, maybe you're supposed to throw it at people you don't like. Are you gonna have a collection of them? Maybe. Are you the Green Goblin and you somehow <laughs> <laughs> turn them into pumpkin bombs and throw them at people? So when the kids come trick-or-treating, Abby says, isn't Halloween a wonderful time for them? <laughs> and Martha says, yes, they have so much fun. Which again, there, there could be boys among the kids. There probably is, but um, they're talking about Halloween. They're talking about trick-or-treaters as a whole. To me... Yeah. That's where it gets sticky. Like I don't, I don't know all of the, all of the nuts and bolts there. So, um, mm. kind of into disability portrayal. I I love this movie. I really do. It disappoints me how much they play the disability. Like looking back on it now, yeah, it disappoints me how much they play, um, the disability for laughs, um. But I want to be clear that I'm not like a medical professional here or a mental health professional, but it seems like there's some, it's pretty clear there's some mental illness in this family. Um, The ants just murder people with no, they don't seem to know it's wrong. They think they're helping, Um, but they don't lack empathy that's kind of that's kind of why they're doing it they feel sorry for these guys who have no family they're lonely they're old so um they meet some of the criteria in like psychopath or sociopath but they don't meet them in other and you know i'm not a doctor so i don't want to sit here and diagnose them you know i just realized something they have a code the way dexter has a code like Dexter will only kill if if the person he's targeting meets certain criteria. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen Dexter in a while. So he feels like there's a certain morality to it, but not really. Gotcha. Like he has his own twisted version of what morality is. Um, Teddy appears to have some sort of... um, I don't know what it's called when you think you're someone else. Is that a psychotic disorder? Uh, again, yeah, not sure we're exactly not mental health is. professionals, but um, and that is like real quick. I think we should mention that there was a time when like you weren't like the the quote unquote crazy people dressed up like Napoleon. Uh, like that was like a um, like a stock, you know, in in cartoons like in Warner Brothers cartoons right in the 40s and 50s if you wanted someone to be crazy like oh they they think they're Napoleon right so um which they say something like oh we already have when they call Sunnydale like oh we already have five Teddy Roosevelt's do you think he could be Napoleon or something like that yeah um but as much as it does play mental illness for laughs I do appreciate it in other ways where Clearly, especially with Teddy, clearly he has some mental problems. He has some mental issues. But the ants are adamant that he's going to stay with them until they die. And then he'll he'll be sent to the home. So they want to take care of him as long as possible. They don't want to just 
ship him off like, oh, we're not going to do it. He thinks he's ripping Teddy Roosevelt. What can we do with this? So they have and compassion. They have real compassion. Right. And the community, it seems, out, except when he's blowing his bugle, because, yeah, that's that's annoying for everyone. Yes. But except when that's happening, the community seems to just be like, this guy thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt, and we're just going to go with it because he's not hurting anybody. This is the way he lives his life. His aunts take care of him. I hadn't thought of it like that. There's something um, admirable about, so about like, that sort of respect that they have. For yeah, him. even the cops that come in, you know, they just sort of um, play into it like, okay, we're just, you know, we're just going to let this dude live his life as long as he's not hurting himself or anyone else. Yeah. Which was a, a long time ago. I mean, not in... When I say a long time ago, I mean like in the 18th and 19th centuries when there wasn't a lot of medical intervention or anything for mental health. It was sort of like it needed to be a community. Everybody knew about that one person in the town or the village or whatever that needed extra assistance. And so everybody just kind of looked out for them. It was a community effort. And so I feel like maybe it might be the Capra Corny-esque <laughs> nature of the of the film but I, I was really happy to see that they didn't just ship him off yeah especially or lock him in or lock him in an attic or right you know, keep him hidden especially considering the state of um mental health institutions during that time but that's a whole other topic for a whole other time um and i wanted to talk about how jonathan um brewster mortimer's scary brother mm-hmm. looked like frankenstein's monster because that's something you you were like, oh, is, said, is Boris Karloff in this movie? <laughs> and that was sort of the running joke. And they kept referring, like, he looks like Boris Karloff. And you get upset. <laughs> you get upset when people would say that. So he has a lot of scars, which, you know, that denotes his evilness. We know right. he's the bad brother. Very, very poorly done. Enormous, enormous stitches. Very wide stitches. Right. And he looks like. Frankenstein's monster, which you have this disabled person as a monster, compare, even compared to all the other disability in the family. You have the That's potentially, um, you know, the serial killers and then um, Teddy. So here's another guy who is part of this family. And mm-hmm. you have even since everybody else has mental health issues, you have to further distinguish him as the monster, the bad guy in this movie. Right. So along with the scars, you also have that he resembles this other fictional monster to go with that. Um, and I I think we both kind of mentioned, or noticed this when uh, Dr. Einstein, Peter Laurie, tried to stab him in the leg with a, with oh. a fork. And I'm wondering... I it think, was Cary Grant who tried to stab him in the leg, right? I thought I Cary th- tried to like... Because he's just trying to figure out a way to like... You know, oh, maybe it was disabled the guy. Yeah, and he probably has a prosthetic leg. Maybe is that what we're we were thinking? So that even further dehumanizes him, where like he's just made up of all of these parts and not even a, really um, a real person. You know Ma- what I mean? You know what? He may have a a prosthetic, a prosthesis, mm-hmm. prosthetic leg, or he he might honestly be an at. Why couldn't Peter Laurie's character like reanimate? Oh, if you want to go the the whole Frankenstein's <laughs> monster route, maybe yeah. it was a full. And he figured out how to put like some form of consciousness inside. It wouldn't. I mean, this movie was weird. <laughs> it, was it was weird. weird. <laughs> okay, 
Um, do you have Do you have anything in disability, or do you want to go to pop culture references you now understand? Because I'm curious if there is anything, since you didn't really know a whole lot about the movie. So pop culture references, not really. Um, I know Peter Laurie's been in a million, a million movies, and he's always kind of that sort of character. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm guessing. Sometimes he's a gangster, though, right? And sometimes he's like the. The, the monsters, like, henchmen, right? I haven't seen a whole lot of Peter Lorre movies. Well, I always, I've always known that uh, Ren from Ren and Stimpy, uh, a, a cartoon that was popular in the 1990s. <laughs> late 19... Or I, I late have 1980s heard tell of it. Or was it late 1980s? Anyway. I, I think... It, anyway, whenever that was... Um, I've always known that uh, the cat. I, I hope I'm getting this right. The cat Stimpy is loosely based, loosely based on um, on one of the Three Stooges, mm-hmm. on uh, uh, Larry Larry Fine, and the 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 Chihuahua Ren was based on Peter Lorre. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I can hear the voice now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What is it, man? Uh, so yeah that's sort of a reference I got Uh I know that it's not exclusive to this movie Um, but yeah and you understand your sister's story now that's not really pop culture but it helps it helps give you context now well I mean the title kind of gave me the yeah (laughs) gave him the context I needed this might mean your sister listens to this show so I'm kidding but it might mean your sister's a serial killer Dun, dun, dun. I, I'm neither going to confirm nor deny that. <laughs> so how would this movie be different with today's technology? Um, I couldn't really... I mean, this one didn't really depend a whole lot on technology. I feel like there would be um, better mental health treatments available, obviously. Um, I mean we're still not 100% on mental health treatments now there's still a lot of crappy stuff that goes on um, but also although this was funny him running around trying to get signatures from everybody I think now it would just be like excuse me judge can you send your electronic signature through your iPad oh, right, like, you wouldn't right. have to you know drag him out of bed and get him to sign the paper and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so um, yeah I think I don't know not just those two things that I noticed, I guess. This is technology they had at the time that they could have used. Uh-huh. They could have employed this technology to stop a lot of the confusion. Lock your doors and windows. <laughs> that was so... I mean, I know that's part of the comedy. Right. But, oh. It was like a French farce with those, with the with the dead bodies. Yes. I expected like almost like the Benny Hill music to show up at one point. That's not Mr. Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was funny. So, oh, and also I think in the very beginning, I mean this is like inconsequential to the rest of the movie, but in the very beginning there are those reporters. Those are there are reporters that hang out with their oh, big giant right. cameras. Trying to going, get people at the marriage license office. Yeah, like, oh, is that what was he? Uh, the um, drama he's, critic. He's a drama Martin critic. Brewster, but he writes he writes books about how marriage is just a big scam. Right. He's like the uh, he was like the Clooney 
He was like the George Clooney of the day, sort of. Not that George <laughs> Clooney wrote books like that, but he he would he vowed to never get married, and then eventually he get married. He right. got married. I feel like um, I feel like TMZ would be on that before before they got to the right <laughs> before right. they got to the so that those two guys were the TMZ of their day. Is yes. what you're saying? And there was probably like they they. The, like they're not sure who they're looking at. Like those TMZ guys right. know who they're looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> like even if they have a, a disguise on, like sunglasses. I think we're gonna edit in the recipe that for the uh, poison wine. Oh at gosh, some point. that's a really good idea. I think Mar- I think Martha gives us the recipe that she uses to mix into the elderberry wine. I think it. Okay, okay, we're gonna AB this against what I believe. I think I heard. Okay. So I think it's arsenic. Uh huh. Cyanide, a little bit of cyanide, and just a dash of strychnine. Okay. That's what I think it was. Okay. We'll see how close I get. Okay. So I think that about wraps it up. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and also on the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network at CosmicPotato.com. Episode transcripts and links to what we talked about are available on our website at WaitYou'veNeverSeen.com. And we're on Facebook and Twitter under WaitYNS. And you can also email us at WaitYou'veNeverSeen at gmail.com. Leave us some feedback or let us know if you have any suggestions for movies we should see. That's our show for today. Next time we'll be watching Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. That's a long title. I'm not even sure if that's the right title. That is the right title. Is it? Yay! Thanks for listening! Bye! So, we had said in our show that we were going to find the clip of Aunt Martha's elderberry wine recipe. Not so the audience can mix their own. We would not advise that. No, because we'd like to keep our audience alive to listen to us. I mean, it's really all about us in the end. We don't want to be brought up on charges of conspiracy to murder. Right, also. right. So, um, instead of having the clip of Aunt Martha... What Shane is going to do is a dramatic reenactment <laughs> of <laughs> I don't know why I set this over here of what um, Aunt Martha's recipe is. Now, just to remind people, you said that the recipe would be arsenic, a little bit of cyanide, and just a dash of strychnine. For a gallon of elderberry wine, take one teaspoonful of arsenic, then add half a teaspoonful of strychnine, and then just a pinch of cyanide. See, you you had your cyanide and your strychnine mixed up. Otherwise, you were right on. I think it's going to do the job, no matter what. (laughs) But I guess it's all about the taste. You know what I want to know is how did Aunt Martha and... um, I'm totally blanking on the other woman's name. Anyway, how do they know how it tastes? Well, maybe they got complaints. Or <laughs> the men's eye. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Like, oh, this elderberry wine tastes terrible. So now that we've done our comparison, that's all for the show this time. Bye. Bye.